Welcome to another episode of the Inspirant Group Podcast. This is where we dive into the journey from inspiration to transformation in our careers, our business, and in our lives. My name is Daniel Lay, and I am your host. Today, we have Carrie Maselli joining us. She is the director of our learning and development practice here at Inspirant Group. In this episode, we'll talk about company culture, employee engagement, onboarding, and how she took a kernel of her own inspiration and built out our very first product from Inspirant Group. You'll get a glimpse into her passion for all of this, and it's just a great story of starting with an idea and making it a reality. Thanks for tuning in, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here culture, onboarding, employee engagement, that has been top of mind for me in the past couple months. So I'm really glad we get to, to hash it out here. Uh, but before we get to all that, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? So just give a little bit about yourself, how you <laughs> pronounce your last name and, and your role at InSpring Group. Okay, sure. Um, Carrie Maselli, it's important. That is one that trips people up quite a bit, but I will respond to Carrie Macelle as well <laughs> if anyone <laughs> ever has a problem uh, pronouncing it. I am the Director of Learning and Development for Insprint Group, so my responsibilities are to really get out of the way of our really exciting and talented people who you know deliver for our clients. And yeah. you do a fantastic job at that, I will say. Well, thank you. It's nice of you to say. <laughs> well, let's jump into culture. So this is something that I really want to talk about. And the way that I've been thinking about it lately has been similar to how culture in your organization is like your health, where if you don't think about it, you're not monitoring it, you're not managing it actively, it could actually decline pretty quickly and eventually become something that's detrimental. So from your standpoint, why is culture important and how can companies be intentional about their culture? Well, I think, you know, to your point, culture can erode so quickly that people in leadership positions, it's well beyond the point of saving, you know, when they finally realize it's happening. The way I think about it, uh, and this is something, Daniel, I have thought about for so long. This is, it's one of those things when you ask people like, what is on your mind? This is always on my mind. I know that sounds crazy, but it's the truth. And I think it's because people matter. When organizations recognize that they are they only exist because of their people, that's when magic happens. You know, when people are supported and they feel happy to be at work, they feel like they want to bring their best selves to work every day and show up for the overall organization. It's such a beautiful thing that comes out of that. I mean, no company, if you think about it, no matter what the product is, no matter what the industry, you don't survive unless you have people who are willing to give it their all. You know, even if you are a service organization, you have people who interface with clients. And if they're not happy, your clients aren't happy. I totally agree. If you don't put in the, the thought for your people, things can start derailing pretty quickly. One of the things that I was thinking about too is all the, this idea, and we've talked about this before, of microcultures and how even in an organization, if you're not thinking about the culture, you can have smaller versions of cultures kind of forming up across the organization. Do you have any experience with that or, or what are your thoughts on all that? I do. I think I can only think back to where I've worked, right? And I am, I want to say this, I feel it's important that I say that I'm very grateful for everywhere I've worked because I've learned so much either what to do or what not to do, how, you know, how I want to show up, how I want to collaborate. All of it has really shaped who I am today. So any comment I make about a former employer is really truly in the vein of, from appreciation standpoint of in respect of, you know, Hey, this is what shaped me today. But I've worked places that, you know, I, I spent, and I didn't mention this when I introduced myself, but I've spent the majority of my career in sales and sales leadership. 
And what I've found in organizations that I've worked for, and this is pretty much universal, Daniel, that sales people and sales departments are often, I want to say put on a pedestal even when it comes to the organization. You know, you talk about a microculture. I've been in situations or in organizations where the salespeople are given more, you know, they're given more attention. They're given more of an onboarding experience. I know we're going to get to that in a moment, but they are, you know, revered in this way that, you know, sure, they're important. They contribute to the bottom line. There certainly wouldn't be any revenue if it wasn't for a salesperson, though. What about all the other people, you know, who actually matter and make sure that the contracts are managed and the service or the product gets delivered and, and actually functions for the new client? So as far as my own experience, I've seen that quite a bit where you can have you know, situations where you're just creating animosity between, uh, excuse me, the departments, you know, within these companies, because they're the perception, maybe that's not the intent of the leadership, but the perception amongst the employees in these different departments is exactly that, that they don't matter as much as this other, you know, type of employee. And that's interesting. I've seen that happen too, where on the sales side, you can see the culture that they have is fun and they get all the, the dollars to pursue new clients. So they're they're going out to dinner, they have the nice suits. And then when, <laughs> when they right. make the sale, they flip it over or throw it over the fence to ops. And these people come in and they're tired and raggedy. And they're, you know, the ones that have to <laughs> do all the work. And yeah, it uh, sounds dramatic, but it's not, is it? I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what we experience. Jeez, it's really palpable. And you're not kidding when you paint that picture. <laughs> yeah, it's like two sides of a coin. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been or have you seen it work really well between like a sales and an ops team before? I've seen where it starts to, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know that I've ever been really a part of a culture that really nails it when it comes to that engagement. But I think where I see leadership within organizations really getting it right is when they ask the people, right? The people are solicited for their opinions and for their feedback, where they are asked for what they want and need as an employee. And, you know, what their perception is. I think we're going to keep coming back today, Daniel, to this idea of perception, because we know uh, anyone who studied communication or in fact, effective communication knows that our intent when communicating is often misperceived, right? And, and what the, tr- the truth, anyone's truth in their situation or experience is their perception. And so unless we know the why behind things, unless we actually ask people what they want, instead of assuming we're going to get it wrong. Right. So the people, the leadership that's saying we are growing, we need to be able to scale. We're going to change the way we're doing some things. And we want your feedback and input as to how we do that. Those cultures, I think, can make it. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And something that I've probably been guilty of as well, where I have a certain intent, but I don't really think about how it's being perceived. I don't dig in and really ask questions. Whenever I do, it's surprising and what you find out. <laughs> I completely agree. If leaders don't do that and don't, don't take the time to really think about their intent and the perception, oftentimes it will be different than what they actually hope and think is happening in their organization. I think most of the time it doesn't match, Daniel. And I think mm-hmm. that I think all of us need to have that aha moment or really that smack in the face, you know, when they do ask somebody or they do solicit feedback, especially anonymous feedback. I think that's critical as well because people don't want to fear, you know, that any sort of ramification or consequence, you know, of providing their heartfelt feedback. And I'll, I'll say, I want to believe that leaders have, they're really driving with what they think is the right thing. You know, I don't think there are people out there saying, I'm going to do this and it's going to, you know, really hurt my people. You know, they're really thinking I want to do this thing and, and people are going to love it. Well, it really takes that smack over the head of someone saying, no, you missed the mark. 
this is what you assumed we needed, though you're way over here and this, what we need is way over there, <laughs> you know, in terms of, of what we're looking for. And so when you have that moment of, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that what this decision that I made, I really thought this was going to affect people in this really positive, you know, welcoming way. And in fact, it landed flat or did the opposite. Like we talk about where it makes people feel, you know, really negative yeah. about their experience. Absolutely. And, and just what you talked about just reminded me of what we've talked about before on psychological safety. You can act on the intent versus perception, but if your organization doesn't have the psychological safety to come back to you and say, hey, I know you had this intent and now you're asking questions and I'm going to tell you where it's not aligning and my opinion on how things are going. If you don't have that secure feedback loop, it's really all for naught because people won't say anything. You're right. It's not enough from leadership just to ask for feedback, they have to actually be willing to hear it. And I say here, you know, specifically, I say here, like you have to hear it, you know, yes, you can read it, but are you going to internalize it? Are you going to really understand and take the moment and step outside of yourself to say, oh my gosh, this is what people are saying. This is what they're feeling and experiencing. And I have the power to change. Which is tough to do sometimes. <laughs> yes. We can have a whole nother conversation about that, <laughs> couldn't we? I, I mean, really, that's another one that I feel really passionate about. Uh, though I know that's for another day, but it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely hear you. That's probably going to be a part two, another, another yeah. podcast. What I really want to move to now is employee engagement and, and onboarding. You wrote a fantastic article on our insights page, as well as uh, we published it on LinkedIn, and I'll add it to the, the show notes below. But you talked about this idea of onboarding and how it ties into culture, but also how it retains the talent that you have. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? What were your biggest takeaways and, and the ideas that you had in that article? Sure. I mean, like anything, I think our ideas stem from our own experiences. And, you know, as I mentioned, I've worked for organizations where, you know, I didn't feel like I really mattered. And maybe, you know, I don't think I'm alone there, Daniel. I think even if we're not, re you know, ready as people to articulate, some people don't want to say that, yes, I want to matter. Yes, I want people to care, you know, about my experience. I think we all deep down do. We want to know that we matter and that we're contributing to the success of the organization we just decided to join. And I feel like there's a real opportunity, you know, companies spend so much time and money, frankly, recruiting top talent. And then when they welcome them on day one. And, you know, I always think about myself starting a new job you, know, you don't sleep the night before. You're really excited. You can't wait to show up and you think about what you're going to wear. Maybe not everybody does, but I do. And then, <laughs> you know, you show up that day. And again, this is pre-pandemic, right? Where we're walking into an office and we want to, we almost imagine this big grand welcome of balloons and, you know, I'm exaggerating, but you know, you just want people to be really happy to see you, I think. And mm -hmm. so when you get there and you and it falls really flat, right? They're not expecting you or the person that you asked for isn't, isn't a meeting. The recruiter tells you, ask for this person on your first day and that person's not available for you. Or you sit down and there's just really this underwhelming ho-hum welcome. And I think companies are really missing an opportunity to say, thank you for choosing us. And now we're going to work every single day to say, and to validate, continue to validate your decision to join our company. We can talk all day about the benefits of employee engagement, Daniel, I mean, I have so many statistics in doing research for this article that we found that, you know, engaged employees are happy. They're willing and able to contribute their best selves to, you know, the, the future and success of the and growth of the organization. And so when you start by 
welcoming them in this way that they feel connected, not only to each other, but to the company and the greater mission, it really can do wonders for your employee engagement and for the future of your organization and your culture like we're talking about. Mm -hmm. When you were describing the onboarding experience, I just got flashbacks to pretty much every onboarding experience that I've had. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing, but it's like an it, yeah. laugh, right? Like, yeah, oh. it, it, it happens everywhere. And uh, it's it, it's too bad, too, because just like first impressions, you know, people make a first impression of you within the first 10 seconds that they meet you. Similarly, in companies, when you first join a company, the first day, the first week, you're starting to create that perception of the company. And if it's you're sitting there in the waiting room waiting for the man, your manager who's in another meeting who directs you to somewhere else, or you're just spending a week trying to get access to everything, yeah, it just it's not a good way to start a relationship. It's really not. And you know, a lot of my research has actually shared as well that you know people are. I think it's. Let me look because I want to get this right. Um, mm two times more likely to look for for other opportunities when they have a negative onboarding experience. And the really interesting thing about that, Daniel, is that negative could mean so many things. Isn't it relative? When you don't put any effort, zero effort as an organization into the onboarding, I mean, think of the collateral damage. These employees are automatically going to look for something new because they just, we, you didn't meet their expectation. People matter and their experience matters. Their, their perception matters more than anything. And if they don't feel like they were welcomed with this you know, open arms and this excitement that they have that matches theirs, you know, two times more likely to look for other opportunities right after their onboarding experience. You know what I, and recruiters know that this is in previous jobs where I was interviewing for different places and I got offer letters and, and was accepted to a few places. The recruiters that I declined or the companies that I declined actually reached back out to me a month into my new job and said, Hey, how are things going? Are you still sure you want to stay where you're at? And I'm sure they have statistics behind onboarding is usually pretty horrible. It actually makes sense to follow back up with people that have declined because they might be you know, looking for another job just a month into their new job because mm -hmm. of the onboarding experience being so horrible. You know, that's so interesting. On one level, I want to, I'm impressed with the recruiters, you know, that they're, <laughs> they're actually using that stat and, you know, yeah. <laughs> the depressing stat, frankly, to be more successful in their role. But geez, isn't it depressing, you know, to think like, Hey, if I just give them a month and they're going to be so underwhelmed and disappointed either yeah. with their new job, <laughs> that they're more likely to pop over and consider mine again. I'm sure statistically everything is on their side for doing that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Or they I wouldn't mean, do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, companies probably look at onboarding as really a purely administrative function, maybe some operational onboarding of how do you do your job, but rarely do they think about the people and the culture and their experience and taking a holistic look and approach to, to onboarding. Um, I did find in my research that 58% of organizations say their onboarding program is focused on processes and paperwork only. Mm. Can you imagine? More than half of companies, and that's not even to say, I think it's really important that we say that it doesn't mean these companies want it that way. Right. And that's where we're going to really transition, yeah. I think, into our next topic. But they don't necessarily want it that way. It's how it's always been done. And they frankly don't have the expertise or the bandwidth to produce a program that is this really celebratory, exciting welcome that that employees really want. Exactly. Yeah. They focus on those small components and, and then 
completely ignored on the whole cultural component. Megan, our CEO, she and I were talking with a gentleman yesterday who leads a research foundation. And he was saying that in his conversations, he's in, he's in the HR space and he talks to people in the HR space and companies that want to work with, you know, and partner with people in the HR space all the time. And he said, our conversation yesterday, when we shared with him this product, you know, that you and I are going to briefly mention when we share, when we talked about that with him, he said that we are the only ones who aren't focused on the tech piece, you know, and the processes and the paperwork <laughs> and streamlining. And of course, it's something in Instrument Group we can do, you know, if we uncover that mm-hmm. as a need. But on the L&D side, it's about the people. And he's not seeing, I was really encouraged by that, just from a, a marketplace, you know, perspective that, <laughs> you know, there's really a need for this out there, that people aren't focused on the employee experience and creating that connection. They're focused on streamlining process, which is great. I'm not going to knock that. It's important. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be the one who's sitting there waiting for their laptop, like you said, for a week because somebody forgot to order it. (laughs) There's all these crazy scenarios that we can talk about that that really contribute to this really crappy experience. And that's a, a perfect segue. So Immersity, our culture immersion program, is really our solution to this whole problem and this horrible experience that everyone essentially goes through in in their company and really brings together all those different pieces that we talked about. But Carrie, as the, I'm going to joke about this, but I'm going to say you're you're the founder or the inspiration for this. Why don't you talk about how this idea came up and and then we can go from there. Sure. And I I will accept inspiration. I will not accept founder. Uh, So let's just be clear. The idea I do feel uh, was mine and I'll tell that story, but the actual product has been a labor of love for an entire team of people here at Insprint. So I I do want to make sure there's a shout out and recognition to all of them. And you know that too. I know you're kidding. So, you know, for me, you know, as I mentioned, and I'll go back a little bit to these companies in my own personal experience. I mean, that's all most of us can draw from, right? And, And no, our truth, our reality is what we've experienced. And I've been in situations where I really, maybe I had this crazy, you know, high expectation of how I should be welcomed and and it didn't happen. And I felt it was almost like your balloon deflates that, you know, the moment you walk in the door and I, I found it starting to affect how I wanted to show up for that company. I'm a, I'm a drive, you know, high driver, high performer. And I found that the places that really welcomed me with open arms and made me feel that I was a part of something got the best carry. Over time, I would just think about this a lot. You know, I'd worked in an organization where I was responsible for onboarding one particular department, one set of new hires. And my team put in all this effort to make this welcome, you know, this onboarding program really robust and fun and I think really effective. I mean, we had the data and the results to show that it was really effective. And when I went to my manager at the time to say, we need to we need to offer this to everybody. Like I can do this. I have the bandwidth. My team has the bandwidth to welcome everyone in the organization in the same way. And I was repeatedly, Daniel, told no. And so that kind of thing really frustrates me. And then as you know in our work at Insprint Group, we work with clients. Really great clients and great people who care about other people. I mean, that's really evident, you know, in our conversations and in the work we do. Though what I found is that even, you know, these people who care, you know, especially the larger organizations, I mean, geez, they really miss the mark too. I saw it repeatedly, you know, when we worked on, we've had to actually revamp new hire programs for organizations, which don't get me wrong, I love that opportunity to be able to do that. Though you just see it as this it's really almost systemic. It's not that they don't care, but they just aren't prioritizing it, you know, as something that really affects their bottom line. And we know in our research that it does. And so I just kept talking over and over again with Megan. You know, I mentioned her earlier, Megan Newhouse, our CEO, 
she and I are friends. Uh, we were friends before we were colleagues. And I would just tell her like, this is bothering me. And anyone who knows me knows that I just can't let something go. I'm like a dog with a bone, you know, when something <laughs> is on my mind. And we found ourselves in the spring, you know, in the middle of this, not even the middle, the beginning of this pandemic this year in 2020. And we, our client work, you know, slowed down significantly. And we were sitting here thinking, okay, what can we do? And she was the first person who I've worked for uh, in 20 years, you know, over 20 years of working for other people who said, Hey, you know, that idea you have, why don't you do something about it? You know, see what you can do, go for it. And she just let me run. And she gave me a team of people who, by the way, are, there's no way it could have been done, you know, without them. You know, this team of people that we have, you know, Daniel, you know, obviously as our COO, that our colleagues, teammates, colleagues, whatever you want to call them, uh, are incredibly talented and bright. And we have, you know, process experts and people who really think about things, frankly, that I do not. <laughs> you know, I'm the people <laughs> person if you haven't figured that out. And so for me, I spend my time thinking about how to connect, you know, with people and how to really impact their day or moment, you know, when we put together the you know, learning series or curriculum, but there are people on our, on our staff and team that, you know, they think really strategically about process and how to really get something from an idea to launch. And so it really was because of all of us. And I'll add as well, um, and echo those, those comments where usually when you're in a company and you say, Hey, I have this great, bright idea. It's usually the, the response you get from leadership is either no, or <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Go go figure it out on your own. And then you're left to your own devices to cobble together a team, try to encourage people to volunteer for your little idea. And most of the time you're doing 100% of the work. And then it usually fizzles out because you don't have the resources or the support from leadership to get it done. But what I saw in this was not only did Meg say, "Hey, go go after it, go do it." She was on the calls with you at you know, throughout the whole process, encouraging it, championing it, and actually helped put a team together and resources to get it done, which, you know, usually you don't see that. It's usually, yeah, go, go ahead and try. And, and if you can get it to a certain place, then we'll start putting interest into it. So it's uh, completely different than what I've seen before. That's so well said. And you're exactly right. I mean, I am 100% confident that this would never have gotten off the ground if it was just me and my ideas. <laughs> I mean, it's just really, you know, I, I, I'm passionate about it as I think is pretty obvious, but I couldn't have done it, you know, without these really smart people who think and have skills that are very different than mine. I, I remember joining one of the uh, Kanban meetings and I remember just being on that meeting and seeing and thinking, wow, this is a really high functioning team. You guys were going through your to-do items, moving those items down the Kanban board, and people were really kind of fired up about this. And I just thought, this is fantastic. And it's, it's teams like this that can really bring an idea from zero to one from that ideation phase all the way to you know, launching a product. And uh, it was really great to see. So I love to kudos hear that. to the team. Yeah, I love to hear that. Thank you for saying that. And I think that I really hope and I think this is the truth, you know, that, that all of that, what you experienced, you know, from not an outsider, I don't think that's correct, but just as someone who was observing, I really feel like that's what our clients get to benefit from, you know, is this idea that we put our best people, you know, onto these, onto our projects to really make sure that they get what they and more, you know, that we exceed their expectations. So let's let's talk about the product a little bit. So Immersity, there are several modules, and we actually took it at Inspirant. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, one of the 
the highlights for me was the module on emotional intelligence and empathy. Uh, definitely one of my favorites. Um, the whole way that you do the self-assessment at the beginning, which really opened up my eyes to a few things mm-hmm. that I need to work on. And then uh, the discussion after and the guidance around self-awareness and self-regulation was super helpful. But those are those are my takeaways. Um, why, don't, why don't you talk a little bit about immersity and the different modules that we have? Sure. I'd love to. Thank you uh, for asking. And thank you for that feedback. I think, you know, one of the things that we over the the last, you know, six, seven months where we've been really working to iterate on this product, we have had a lot of conversations. You know, we've reached out to people in our networks of, you know, who work for companies large and small, you know, to give us feedback and to really help us you know, bring something that's going to matter, you know, to the marketplace and that companies need. And one of the things that kept coming up, it was pretty uh, fun to hear from these leaders that we solicited for their feedback is that they were really shocked and surprised and really happy to see that module, Daniel, the emotional intelligence and expressing empathy module. It doesn't often show up in this type of onboarding experience. People think that's something maybe for later. And we argue and get to do what we want because it's our product uh, that is <laughs> incredibly critical to the success of the of the new hire into of the employee in general. But it doesn't mean that emotional intelligence should stay only in onboarding. You know, you, that's just a first glimpse as you experienced of what it is. And so it's one piece, you know, of an overall curriculum that of course can be customized for our clients. The most important thing for me and for Instrument Group as a whole, is that clients can engage with immersity in any way that works for them. This was a, this was a key, you know, because we're typically used to at Insprint working with larger organizations who have bigger budgets, frankly. And I said to Meg when we were putting this together and made sure that she agreed, you know, it's ultimately up to her that I wanted this to be approachable. I wanted companies of any size, of any budget, to be able to affect and impact their employees in any way, you know, that just showed a little bit of, you know, how much they care about them. And so we start with and insist on a leadership involvement. You know, maybe there's a welcome that they pop on, you know, right now, of course, it's all virtual, as you and I know. Mm -hmm. And so the leader pops on for a moment to say welcome, or maybe we help them create a really fun welcome video. You know, maybe the leader doesn't have the bandwidth to manage to pop on to onboarding Zooms, if you will. And so we can create, you know, we have really talented people who can create a really fun video that's pretty evergreen, you know, for a while at least, you know, that they can use in different uh, cohorts of their onboarding. Um, We talk about, and this might be one of my favorites, um, uh, business etiquette and culture and how, and really defining the culture of the new organization for the new employee, you know, this idea that they understand how to show up every day and how decisions are made and how they can bring their most authentic self to work. Expectations are set. You know, we have this conversation where we talk about how we want to be perceived by our new coworkers. You know, there's that idea of perception again that keeps coming back. And this idea that, uh, don't you love this idea? Maybe it's just me, but this idea that <laughs> I can, it's almost like a fresh start. I mean, you're taking all the experience you have and all the knowledge you have to your new job, but you're able to say, okay, I want to be perceived in this way. This is most important to me as I engage with and collaborate with my new coworkers. And so we have a discussion about, well, what does that look like? What do you observe? And, you know, if you want to be perceived as helpful, what does that, what does helpful look like? How does someone know you're being helpful? You know, what's going to aid in that perception? And then perhaps even more importantly, we talk about what could undermine that perception. So what behavior of yours might you consider, you know, could really, you know, give the impression to somebody that you're not helpful, 
And wh while you're talking about that, I was just thinking like, yeah, it gives you guidance on what to do in those different scenarios, but also it gives you tools to do it well. And, and that's something that I know I've taken away from the program. And I'm sure, you know, anyone who takes it will, will say the same thing. Why don't you talk a little bit about what clients have uncovered or what they've taken away from the program? Because we've done a few of these since um, since launching. We have. We've had some partners, you know, fortunately, let us pilot you know, this program with them. And the feedback has been really great. And I think one of the things that I'm most proud of in one of the pilots that we ran was the feedback that they were seeing. This was from their COO, actually, that they were seeing. Um, you know, I mentioned, I didn't mention, but I will, that we also have a module in there, Daniel, on effective communication. And one of the things that they mentioned or the, the COO mentioned to me in conversation was that she was seeing real tangible examples of how their communication has shifted and changed for the better after, after going through immersity. And so, you know, it's really helping people, you know, people like to say, Oh, what a great, especially when you're more experienced, you know, what a great refresher. Thanks for that reminder. And then you think, well, was it really a reminder? You know, was this something that was on your mind <laughs> before? Um, or, you know, do you really just, is it something maybe you did hear about, you know, 20 years ago and now all of a sudden you're inspired to to behave that way. Either way, I don't care. I think it's important, <laughs> like what you said earlier, and I take as a major compliment is that you walked away with tools and that's what we're trying to do. And so that's what we're hearing from our, the pilot, you know, companies that have, like I said, so graciously allowed us to run the program for them is they're seeing the impact. They see the difference in how people are communicating with each other and how they're showing up for each other, how they're committing to their own personal development. You know, nothing in these modules or in this series is stuff that you can't practice and be better at. You know, even you mentioned emotional intelligence. The beauty of emotional intelligence is that we have a baseline that we establish. And then with practice and exposure to the right concepts and tools, you can be better. I mean, who doesn't want that? You know, instead of, oh, hey, this is where you are. And sorry, you're just stuck there. <laughs> We're saying, hey, you can learn this stuff. You can improve who you are and, mm -hmm. and just be better. When everyone has that mentality, that, that's when real change can really happen in your organization. Well, and going back even to what we were talking about at the top of the podcast is about, you know, culture and this idea that from day one, you are, you know, showing your new hire that you have a culture of learning and personal development. I mean, not a lot of companies can actually say that or show that you know, to new hires. You're, you're also walking away with the tools and the guidance to know how to work within the environment with the different types of people and really understanding the people around you and on your team a lot better, mm -hmm. which usually takes a long time to get through that. You know, you have the whole storming, norming, performing stages of a team, but immersity probably and we should probably do some analysis on this, like really reduces that storming period because of all the time you're spending with, with each other and learning about each other. That's really well said. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you're right. I mean, I think about my own experience in times where I, you know, came from cultures that were pretty formal and, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I fit into that just fine, you know, where, you know, your cell phone stays at your desk when you go to a meeting and you're pretty formal in your email communication. And then I went to a new organization where people were super casual. In fact, they would make fun of me for my formal emails and, you know, in a joking way, but it didn't make me feel great all the time. And you brought your phone with you everywhere you went and your phone was the priority. And it drove 
drove me crazy, you know, because I'd come from somewhere different. It doesn't mean either is wrong or better. It just means that I could have benefited from knowing how am I showing up? What are these cultural norms that are unique to this organization that I need to adopt in order to really fit in and thrive? You know, it it was really great going through that program. And I would say things that we took away in Sprint Group and and things that uh, we talked about on the leadership team is, you know, we really need to protect our culture and really expand on what we've learned through going through the Immersity program. And one of the things that we came up with was the heartbeat, which is the survey that we're um, going to send periodically out to everyone in the company just to get a health check on our, our culture and to make sure that the things that we talked about, learned, and wanted to put into practice through that program is continuing on. I think Immersity is not only great for onboarding, but it's also great for leadership to go through it because you learn so much about your people and your culture and you start coming up with ideas of how to expand that into the future. I love so much that you and our members of leadership took that away, you know, from the series or the, you know, curriculum or the modules and were able to apply it. I think that, you know, and I wrote in my article, Daniel, that for any onboarding program to be successful, the leadership needs to be aligned and on board and actually living the values, right? Living, breathing and experiencing them. And I think what's really valuable about what you've done at Insprint is that we're a case study for ourselves, (laughs) for Immersity, because we can learn from you are behaving in a way that says we heard you during all of this these modules and these discussions because the modules are truly discussions aren't they i mean they're people get to share you know their thoughts and experience and really reflect you know on what they're hearing and what other people are saying and you took that and you said okay let's try this and i think as you and our your colleagues you know at the leadership level really start to see how it impacts and how you can react, I guess, to the feedback that you're getting, we can use that in a way that really helps us drive more engagement and alignment with our clients, you know, and within their organizations. Exactly. Well, Carrie, we are coming close to time. So what I'll say is you've done a fantastic job with Immersity and the team behind it uh, did a fantastic job. And I know there's going to be more to come and we're building out some new things and constantly improving the program. But uh, kudos to you and the team for putting this together. Well, thank you. And you can't see me, but I will tell you that I have a permagrin on my face because (laughs) I just am so happy uh, and excited to be able to talk about it. Thank you for asking me to join you today. I think, uh, and if anyone's interested, (laughs) let me know. I'll talk about this all day long. (laughs) And I think you could attest to that, Daniel, that I love this. Um, I don't think I'll ever get tired of talking about people and uh, helping them to see that they matter. I haven't met anyone who's more passionate about this, who has a heart for this and who can, (laughs) just like you said, talk about this. Um, uh, for as long as as you're able to listen. So if you want to continue the discussion, we will link Carrie's information in the show notes, including any information to learn more about what you've heard about today. Uh, Carrie, thanks again for joining the show. Thank you. Happy to do it. 